This is the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 114. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm your host, Monica Louie, and today I've got another incredible interview heading your way. My guest today is the mastermind behind the go-to program for SEO in the blogging space. And he's sharing all about how he's built his online course business from the ground up. And of course, we do talk about SEO too. But first, if you're new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I'm Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served thousands of students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. As you know, Facebook and Instagram ads are always changing. So if you want to stay in the know with all the changes related to Facebook and Instagram ads, I invite you to join my free email newsletter. When you join at monicalouie.com slash guide, you will get my free Facebook ad starter kit as a bonus. Well, this podcast is all about what it takes to flourish to seven figures online. And if you do not have a clear traffic strategy, my guest today is here to help you out. My guest is the incomparable Mike Pearson. Mike is the founder of Stupid Simple SEO. It's just fun to say it, where he teaches bloggers how to scale their traffic and income with SEO. As you'll hear, he's been a longtime blogger, He's a family man, and he's built several very profitable online businesses. And today, he's sharing how he got his start online, how he validated his course idea for Stupid Simple SEO, his strategies for growing his audience and email list, how his funnels and promotions have changed over time, and what's working now. And of course, we do talk about what's working now when it comes to ranking on Google. Stay tuned to the end because Mike shares some myths and mistakes he sees people commonly make when it comes to SEO strategies and what to do when the dreaded Google algorithm knocks you out of the rankings. And we talk about so much more. This was an incredible conversation. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 114. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 114. I really love this conversation with Mike. And no matter where you are in your journey to flourishing to seven figures, I know that you are going to get a lot out of this conversation. In fact, Mike told me after the interview that this was one of his most fun interviews he's ever done. So that was quite an honor. All right, here is my fascinating conversation with Mike Pearson from Stupid Simple SEO. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I am so excited to have you on here to talk about SEO with us. So welcome. Thanks, Monica, for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I have heard a lot of great things about you, about your program. I think we have 
many mutual students. I know I've got team members in your program. It seems like you have created the go-to SEO program. So I'm really curious about your story and getting started in SEO. How did you even learn about it? You know, what is your backstory? And so I guess we'll start there. How did you even get into online business in the first place? Yeah. So I have been building blogs or, you know, they're really called niche sites or like authority sites, basically content websites for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. And these are just different websites in different niches. Like it could be a cooking niche or a travel niche, you know, like consumer focused niches. Um, and so the idea is to, to build these sites out with content so they can rank in Google. So we get traffic from Google and then you can monetize these sites with ads or affiliate income. And that, that's where I really got started was, was building these sites up. I, I first learned about this. I always like to give a shout out to who I learned from also. Pat Flynn is the first person that I, that I really learned about this yeah. way back when, when he was doing these, these niche sites. When did you start following Pat? It's tough to say now, but I, I feel like my first site was around 2012, 2013. Don't quote me exactly, but you know, we're almost 10 years now. So okay. shout out to Pat cool. for, for teaching me how to get started with this. And I was building those on the side, just, just me, right? Just, just building them while I was doing my full-time job. And these sites are primarily, as I mentioned, SEO focused or in other words, we rely on Google to get our traffic as opposed to maybe Pinterest or ads or any other way to get traffic. And then, I mean, we can talk about getting into it, how I decided to come up with the idea of a course, but that's kind of my background in terms of SEO or blogging or niche sites. Was your goal to, because you've now left your corporate job, right? I left my job, yeah, in the beginning of the year. So in January. Oh. Wow. Congratulations. That's new. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's big. <laughs> That's a huge step. So you've been working your job then most of this time building these sites on the side. Uh, yeah. What was your draw? Did you just need like a, like a passion project or a side project? Was it, you know, why did you, why did you start this yeah. side hustle of building these niche sites? It was really the, so, you know, Pat's whole thing is smart passive income, which is like side hustle income, right? That's, that really got my appeal. You know, I, we had, I had just gotten married. We were living in New York City. Expensive rents, let's put it that way. You know, trying to make a, a little, a couple extra bucks on the side. And, and you can do that with these sites, right? So I think my first site was making like $3,000 a month, which is, you know, not a bad side hustle income. And you can definitely grow these sites to much bigger than that. And I have, but the, yeah, the main appeal or the main draw was passive, quote unquote, it's not passive, but quote unquote, passive income. And what was your corporate job? What was your career in? So I, I'm not going to name the company, but I worked at a big pharmaceutical company as a project manager. So totally not related. No, no, completely, completely <laughs> unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So you started building up these niche sites. So I guess you were learning then about SEO to drive traffic to the niche sites back then. And so then what, what came next? You started building these niche sites. Sound like you had several. So where did your, where did your entrepreneurial journey take you then? Yeah. So I was, I mean, and I, and I still build them today because I, I do feel it's important to actually build these out while I teach other people how to do it, you know, just so I can stay current on everything that's working and everything that's that's not working. So I, you know, was building these sites, learning about SEO through these various forums, through Pat's podcast. And I was in these, you know, these Facebook blogging groups, right? You've probably seen a few of them. They're, they're all over the place. Like these blogger groups on Facebook, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 bloggers, just kind of sitting back and just watching the conversation. And it just struck me at how little people knew about 
SEO, right? To, to grow their blog. Most of these bloggers, at least that I work with, rely on Pinterest to get their traffic, at least 90% of their traffic. And just observing in these Facebook groups, people, I don't even know where to get started with SEO. How do I do keyword research? How do I create content for Google? So just kind of watching that and, and just kind of a light bulb went off where, look, this could be a potential market of people, right? Because you know, there's other SEO people out there who are selling SEO courses. And my kind of different angle was to kind of not go after, but kind of attract bloggers in quote unquote female niches. You know, 90% of my audience happens to be female. And, and I saw that they were struggling with, with SEO. And to be honest, SEO is probably the most important part of blogging. So that's kind of where I saw the, the opportunity. Very cool. So I know... I started off with a blog. It's my first business and Mm -hmm. SEO was something that I never really got into. I figured I would like dive into it at some point and never did, but I saw, you know, and especially working with my clients and my students now, like the most successful ones, um, when they come to work with us or, or they, you know, are ready to dive into Facebook ads, they're already getting great traffic through SEO. It is so important. And Mm -hmm. so you've been in the game for a long time, you know, studying SEO and now teaching it. I want to get into what the changes are, but I want to, let me say focused on your, on your story. So you saw this potential. And so did you decide to create a course right away or, or when you saw the potential, then where did you, where did you go? So I had taken a course of my own from Michelle Gardner, who runs a personal finance blog. It's called Making Sense of Sense. She was at the time, and she still does. She was selling an affiliate marketing course. And you know, I, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly taking courses just so I can stay fresh. So I took her course. It was very good. And I noticed in her Facebook group, because she had a, a Facebook group for her paid students, that she had something like 5,000 students in the group. And I was like, oh my God, there is a market out there for blogging courses, right? Like 5,000 people paid to take Michelle's course and it's probably more than that right now. And Michelle's course was was very good. And it's something that I think, well, Michelle's teaching on affiliate marketing. You know, there's people teaching on Pinterest. I could probably create a course about SEO teaching people how to do it, right? Step-by-step. So by me having taken courses in different niches like affiliate marketing or, or Pinterest, and then seeing the potential, just being in these groups, right? Really being in the Facebook group, seeing the volume of people who are interested in this stuff and the struggle that they were having. And so I thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I, I filmed some videos and if it bombs, then I, you know, I still have a job, <laughs> but if it takes off, then it, maybe it could be something. Very cool. Yeah, no, I love Michelle. She's been on the podcast. Um, I've been a longtime student of hers in the group, very active group. People are so helpful in there. And so that gave you the idea that people are are buying courses, they're investing in their in their education. And so let me let me see what I can offer with SEO. So what was your first step? Did you just create the course? Did you like create a blog? I mean, where did you go? So I first created like a a homepage, a website. Like if you go to my website, stupid simple SEO, it's basically a landing page. I don't really have a lot of blog content on there, but really the first step, I'm a firm believer, and we can talk about you know online marketing or courses that you need an email list, right? So that's the before I had anything on my site or anything, I, I set up a homepage with an email list, like an email capture, and then I kind of needed to figure out how to get yourself out there, right? So kind of while I was building up my course or planning out my course, uh, you need to kind of get yourself out there, right? You don't want to spam these Facebook groups. Part of what I did was I reached out to Michelle herself and offered to write a guest post on her site. So I wrote like a 5,000 word guest post on how to do SEO with affiliate marketing. 
and she has a huge audience, right? She has a huge mm-hmm. email list. She has a huge blogging, like the amount of people who read her blog every month. And she published the article. She blasted it to her email list. And throughout my guest post, I would leave like, oh, if you want to learn more about SEO, sign up at my website, right? And she was nice enough to let me link to like a landing page on my site. So that was my first burst of, you know, getting people to my site, right? And because I had that email list set up at the beginning, you know, I don't remember how many emails I got, maybe it was 500 emails, right? But these are 500 bloggers who are interested in growing their blog, right? They're interested in SEO because they, they opted into my email list without barely knowing who I am. But that, that really, that that guest post on Michelle's site really got me going. And then once I had those 500 or so email subscribers, right, you want to nurture them every week. So I would send like a tip every week while I was building out my course in the background, leaving hints like, oh, I'm thinking about starting a course. What do you think? Right. And people would write, well, I'd love for you to cover XYZ. And then you would add that to the course, right? So you're kind of like priming them. And so I, again, as I was building out my email list, I was working on the course. And that's how I kind of did a mini launch to that first group of people, but it really did come. Thank you, Michelle, to Michelle allowing me to guest post on her site. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay. So what was this time frame? When did you write that guest post? And then when did you do your first mini launch? So, and I don't really have anything pulled up in front of me, but I, you know, this is the beginning, maybe the spring of 2018. Don't quote me exactly on the timeline around that time. And then I think I might've done the launch by the summer, like in the June, in June. And I don't know exactly how much it did, but it did enough where I was like, all right, this could be something, right? Just keep building your email list, make the course better. And that's again, yeah. So I would say three years ago, 2018, roughly like the spring, summer of 2018. Very cool. Okay. So what did the mini launch look like to that, to that small, but engaged audience? So the first thing is I priced it way too low. <laughs> like I think as most course creators do when they're launching a product, I'm like, I'm, I'm you know, launching this course and I'm, I can actually pull up some stuff, but um, just, I mean, my sales emails were probably terrible. I said, I, I created a course for SEO for bloggers. You know, it's going to be, here's a 20% discount. It was like under two, it was under 150 bucks, I think, or something ridiculously cheap. You can get in at the lowest price. It'll be so on and so forth. Maybe I, I think I, kept it open for like a week and then closed the doors. And then I got my first kind of trickle of customers. I can try to figure out exactly how many it was, but it was, again, it was enough where I was like, all right, this is, this is kind of proof that this could work with, with a small email list. Maybe I had a couple thousand people at that point. And then a kind of a, a really rough course, like me using loom in like my bedroom, you know what I mean? Like sharing my screen. It was very not high tech. Let's put it that way, but that was kind of like the first the first launch. And then what was the course platform they used? So at the time I was using Teachable. I don't use them anymore, but I got started on Teachable. Okay. And what are you using now? I have everything in Kajabi now. Kajabi. Okay. So it sounds like you've updated the course, maybe done some better videos since. Exactly. So every... I don't know. I try to update it at least. And when I say update, I mean an A to Z refilm, which is over a hundred videos, over a hundred scripts, right? Uh, at least once a year. If there's like breaking news in Google, right? If something changes in the algorithm, then I'll, then I'll add like a new video to the existing course. But in terms of like a fresh update, like every single video, I try to do it every maybe 12 to 18 months. 
because it does take a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge project. I just got yeah. a couple months ago, it got done, finished fully updating mine from like, you know, top to bottom. It's a, it's a huge project. Every time I'm in it, like when I was creating it at the beginning and then updating it and then like doing the full update, like, I'm just like, man, I have so much respect for course creators. Yeah. It's no small, small task. And mine is like lifetime access. So, yeah. which is fine. Like, so, you know, someone who bought my course for $120 in 2018 still gets the brand new course, yes. right? They're still in the Facebook group, which I think is a good way to grow your audience, but not everyone does that. Yeah. So you went the course route as opposed to memberships are really popular or ongoing or, you know, pay as you go, or why did you stick with the course route as opposed to the membership? Did you entertain the idea of a membership or you just thought I'm all in on the course idea? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, but I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. So I thought the course was the easiest path, right? I, I, I can do this in my free time, right? I can record these videos at my own pace, right? I, I don't, it's not live. I don't have people that I need to mm. give weekly content to like I do yeah. with a membership and no one's really expecting anything, right? They're on my email list. I'm emailing them once a week. You know, maybe I'm dropping hints that I might release a course and I'd love your feedback, but there's no pressure, right? And I can structure it exactly the way that I want to. And then kind of test it with, as I mentioned, that mini, that kind of mini launch to begin with. I, you know, basically for where I was at in terms of working a full-time job, you know, we had, my daughter was probably two years old at that point. So just in terms of like my schedule, I thought it was more manageable. And so I stuck and I, and listen, I've been doing that. It's evergreen now, but I was doing launching for a long time and I'm, you know, I've been updating that. I just updated it a few months ago, but you mentioned memberships and we don't really need to go into this because it's not fully baked out, but I, I'm getting on the membership train as well, I think, fairly soon. Okay. More to come on that then. More to come. <laughs> but yeah, not, nothing to really announce. But yeah, it's something that's definitely I've had my eye on for a while now. And I think I'm finally ready to, now that I have the the time, right, because I don't have a job, which is great, to devote to kind of support for a membership. Very cool. Okay. So you did the first launch It validated, like this can work, this can be a thing. So then what did you do from there? You said you launched for a while. So was it like open cart, closed cart for a while? So I was doing, and I just pulled up, well, I have the stats from 2019, but yeah, I was doing open close and I was, I really agonized over this. Should you do the open close or should you do evergreen? I think most you know, when you see the big, and I mean the big people out there, like the Amy Porterfields and the James Wedmores, they're doing, you know, once a year launches, which I think is crazy. So I think most people will tell you launching may yield better results. So I, I did originally go with that, but I did it on a quarterly basis. So I was, I was launching every quarter, A, because I was too nervous to only launch like once or twice a year. I was like, what if it doesn't go well? I only get paid twice a year. But B, because SEO is a thing that people want, like when they, when they realize they have to learn it, if they want to really take their blog to the next level, they want to learn it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Right. They, they don't want to wait six months to take, to take Mike's course. So I, I, I wrestled with that. Should I launch? Cause I think it'll do better versus should I keep it open? So yeah, I launched for from 2018 to April, 2020. So for two straight years, I was launching every quarter and then I flipped the switch uh, to evergreen. Okay. So those launches, were they always just an email series or did you have other strategies, webinars, video series, other things like that? Yeah. So I finally have a little data to play with here, but um, yeah, I was doing for those live launches, I was only doing email launches generally for five days 
and I had like an army of affiliates who were promoting it on my behalf, which definitely helped. So yeah, it was a, a quarterly email launch for a week with affiliates. And was it always Monday through Friday or did it kind of open and close on different days? I had thought about that. Like, what are the best days? And I think one day I went for six days and it didn't really make a difference. But yes, it was Monday open. So I, I would usually send two emails the Thursday and Friday before cart open, kind of like priming them. Open cart Monday, close cart Friday night, like Friday at midnight. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, when I do like flash sales and things, I'll close cart on this is something Pat told me because I asked him like, what do you do? What do you recommend? He said <laughs> close on Monday or Tuesday works best. So have you ever like tested that or anything or doesn't sound like no, it? No, I've, I've strictly done Monday through Friday. And then I think for one launch, I did Monday through Saturday just to test if that extra okay. day did that one day would help. And it, it was, the, it was, there was no effect, but no, I, I haven't, know. I haven't really switched the I never even actually frankly heard about I've heard of closing on a Thursday from like oh. Stu McLaren, but no, interesting. People have different strategies, obviously. I know. I know. And I think about what is best and I've been too nervous to try anything else, yeah, Exactly, <laughs> but it's working for you. So then, so then you made the flip to evergreen. What does that look like? Is there like an email series automated funnel? What is, what does that look like? Yeah. So I've got a, I'll have to give a shout out here. So I took a, pro, a coaching program from her name is Caitlin Batcher. So she works with course creators and her entire expertise, like talk about niching down her niche is course creators who have evergreen funnels. Like that's who she works with. I was nervous to join a, because I was flipping the switch. I really believed, believed uh, that launching was better. I really did. You know, watching her materials, she sold me on the evergreen system that she has. Um, so I, I joined her coaching program I flipped the switch in April. That move, right from, from and I when I was launching, I was doing very well. Evergreen is what allowed me the the confidence to to quit my job, right? To to have that a because the income, frankly, is higher, but b because of this. I mean, I can predict my sales to the dollar, right? Based on how many page views am I getting to my landing page, how many opt ins am I getting, so on and so forth. So Evergreen is definitely. I'm not saying this will be for everyone. Right. For me, it's been better and it's been more consistent and it's been more predictable. So that's like the, I didn't really answer your specific question, which was, how are you doing it? So yeah, I have, a, I'm using a webinar, an automated webinar. So selling through the webinar and then there's a, like a follow-up series afterwards. There's a whole funnel. If they don't, if they don't buy, then they get tagged in active campaign. And then I run them through the funnel again, like 30 days later, but yeah, it's all, it's all automated webinar. Okay. Very cool. And so people are opting in for a, some sort of lead magnet initially. Is that what happens? Exactly. Yeah. So I have like a free, what is it? Five or six day boot camp, right? It's like a free video training. That's the lead magnet. And then they'll get kicked into the funnel. Some people just find the webinar itself. Like I don't really promote the webinar. If you go on my homepage, you actually can't find it. Because there's got to be a little bit of scarcity involved. I don't want just you know anyone just coming to my page and finding the webinar. There's a bit of scarcity. Like I use Deadline Funnel, and it and it's a true deadline. Like if if you don't get it, then you know you have to wait whatever it is, thirty to sixty days. So yeah, mostly it's a lead magic on the homepage. But I also have affiliates who are promoting me, and they they know to promote the webinar. So some people will go right to the webinar. Okay, so it's a five to five or six day boot camp video training. 
and then it goes into the webinar. Is that what happens? So they'll have, I give them like a week to watch it and I'm sending them like an email every day about the lesson that they watched or whatever. I don't have my active campaign pulled up, but at, at a certain point after those five days, they'll get invited to watch the webinar or they'll be put into a kind of an auto responder that will lead up to the webinar. You know what I mean? Okay. Very cool. I, I always find this so fascinating. You know, some people, a lot of people, it used to be go straight to the webinar. And now it seems like there's more nurturing sometimes that, you know, going straight to the webinar can still work, but sometimes there's more nurturing involved or I don't know. Anyway, so I, I find it all really fascinating. Yeah, the funnel. I mean, I, again, I was before this, I was just doing email launches. I was, I don't know, not afraid to do a webinar, but I was, I don't know. I didn't think it was... Honestly, in the back of my head, I was like, who the heck is going to watch a 50-minute webinar in order to have the privilege of purchasing my course? You know what I mean? <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense because I, I got to be honest, I'm not sitting through a webinar. If I, if I know that I want to buy something, I've usually done the research, right? Like I just bought yeah. uh, Stu McLaren's Tribe course, but I've had my eye on that course for two years. And the only reason I didn't buy it before, because I wasn't ready to do a membership, right. but I knew that I was going to buy his course. I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit through a webinar. I'm just going to go to the checkout page. But so that, that's kind of a limiting belief that I had. I was like, who the heck is going to watch a webinar? Like 45 minutes, but <laughs> to, to organic traffic, it converts at about 20%. Very cool. Wow. That's really good. I'm kind of in the same school of thought for you. Like for me, it's been a long time since I've sat down and watched a webinar, unless I'm really, really interested. Like I already know that I'm interested. I'm not, but I think for the people that are new, like when I was first learning this whole online business game, I was like watching every free webinar I could get my hands on, you know, because I just wanted to learn it all. So it could be kind of like where you are, but I agree, you know, when people are ready, they're ready. Okay. So, okay. So after the webinar, then they're tagged. And then you said that then there's, they kind of go through the funnel again, or they're offered the program again. 30 to 60 days later. Right. So on the webinar, I mean, so this is, and I got to give credit to Caitlin's system here. So it's like the, again, the reason people don't love or don't love evergreen is because there is a lack of urgency, right? So the way that we do it is that even though the webinar is quote unquote recorded, when someone buys on the webinar, they get two extra bonuses, right? And this is all tagging on the back end. So when they're watching the webinar, right, they get a heads up stay to the end, two additional bonuses. And these are actually like my two best bonuses in my course are offered. And so that kind of piques their interest if they're interested in the course to watch to the end. And then I kind of reveal the bonuses. So then you go to Q&A with like a 15 minute countdown. And it's like, if you buy while you're on the webinar, like right now, right? Because there's a button that pops up once the webinar is, you know, once you've pitched the, the course, they can actually click the button and then go to Thrivecart. If they buy while they're watching the webinar, then they get those two bonuses. They're tagged uh, differently. So that's the quote unquote urgency, right? Part of it anyway. Buy on the webinar, you get these bonuses. And, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me on who, who's buying on the webinar. Most people buy on the webinar, but if they don't, then that's fine, right? The, the, the webinar ends, they get a follow-up with an, you know, here's the replay if you didn't, if you want to check the replay. And then they go into a, like a mini funnel, a follow-up funnel, you know, it might be five days of sales emails trying to, to you know, you watch the webinar and here are the emails, blah, 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 blah. So there's that like sales sequence follow-up. 
And then if they don't buy after that, again, I don't know if it's five days or however many days it is, then that tag gets removed. And then they're tagged with a different tag where they're just kind of in my, you know, did not buy tag or whatever. It is an active campaign. And then every 30-ish days, maybe more, they'll get re-invited back to watch it again. Okay. Are you using like a webinar software or platform? Yeah. So there's like a whole tech stack with, so the, the webinar software is easy webinar. Um, I haven't, I've been using it since day one. It's been really good. So in order to implement Caitlin's system, cause I, you know, she hands over her automations and her funnels. I had to move from convert kit, which I was happy with to active campaign, which is what, you know, I don't know if you've ever moved an email list of 20,000 people. It's not fun. It's a little yeah. nerve wracking. So I, I moved emails, so, but I, I'm in active campaign and the, the tagging and the automations and the follow-ups are just so much better. So it's, it's easy webinars, active campaign, it's deadline funnel. Cause we do part of the urgency is in that five day follow-up, like they get five days to buy the course. And if they click on the sixth day, that sales page redirects them. They can't even access it. So de- uh, deadline funnel, I think that's pretty much, I'm using WordPress for like my pages. Right. Okay. For the landing pages. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned Thrivecart too for the shopping cart. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, Thrivecart. I love, love, love Thrivecart, especially for if you use affiliates. And then you mentioned Kajabi. So the course is housed in Kajabi. Yeah. I was originally in Teachable, which is, which was fine. Right. When I was first starting, there were some f- specific things that I didn't love, you know, and I don't need to mention them. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but I-, I thought it was fine. And then I was taking, again, I, I think I was taking an email building course from Rick Mulready and his course was in Kajabi. And I was like, oh my God, this looks just from a user perspective, not even a course creator perspective, from a user perspective, it's it, at least to me, this is just my opinion. It looks so much more polished and professional and clean. You know what I mean? I was like, this is like the experience that I want to have for my students when they log into my course and I was having login issues with Teachable when they log into my course. I want it to look, I mean, maybe it's not important to some people, but to me, I want them to have a good visual experience when they're watching my course. And Kajabi to me is just, it just looks better. And it's, it's more, it's easier to use in my, in my opinion. Okay. So I think that that's really important from the, from a, like a user experience. Yeah. It's so important. I, I have moved course platforms in the past because we were having issues with people, you know, weren't or having trouble logging in. And then it just, you know, was kind of clunky inside. And so the user expense experience, I think is huge. So I think that's yeah. something definitely to keep in mind. Yeah. I and mean, I'm definitely happy with Kajabi. I'm going to do my membership in there too. Okay. So you have affiliates and then SEO is SEO part of your traffic strategy here because you have got these other content sites, but is that, is that a traffic strategy here for you? So ironically, no. So I don't have, like, if you go to my website, I have like three quote unquote blog posts that I published, like when I was first starting just to kind of get people familiar with me. So I, I don't do any like content marketing with this SEO site primarily because when we talk about SEO, competition is one of the most important things to understand. In other words, you know, when you're publishing content on your site in order to rank in Google, you're competing against at least 10 other sites or 10 sites on the first page. And in the SEO space, like to rank in Google against like Neil Patel and Brian Dean and all these enormous like SEM Rush or Ahrefs, like all these huge brands, 
it would take me like 10 years to rank. Like it's just the hard, it's like the hardest niche to rank in. So to answer your question, no, I, I'm primarily, sometimes I wonder how I get the traffic to my site because I'm, we could talk about Facebook ads because I've had my issues with Facebook ads. I've been doing a little Facebook ads. Some people are just like word of mouth. Again, these blogging groups, people talk, you know, if they're talking about SEO courses, some people are nice enough to mention me. And so they hear about it that way. Um, and then we, we talked about affiliates a little bit. So that's kind of how people are finding me. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, that's how I found you as word of mouth. I heard, you know, stupid, simple SEO that grabbed my attention when I first heard it. And then <laughs> I kept hearing it, you know, come up, come up, come up. I was like, okay, this guy's doing something awesome. And then I hear great things about the program too, about like how it's just so well done and so helpful. So anyway, so that's why I'm so glad that, that you decided do you agree to come on? So, <laughs> and you have a free Facebook group. So how does that kind of fall into all of this too? I was just going to mention that too. So again, I've been, when I was, once I, the funny thing is once I turned my course evergreen, like the big benefit is I don't have to worry about launches or, you know, leading up to a launch or getting my emails, right? You know what I mean? Like all that, at mm -hmm. least for me, anxiety, emailing my affiliates, like keeping them happy, like that, that goes into launching quarterly. Once I went evergreen, like all of that stuff is, is, is handled automatically. So I was like, I have a little time on my hands. Like what, what my, this course is kind of running on autopilot. So I was thinking of different ways to, we were just talking about getting people to your site. So at last, I don't know when it was at some point, was it earlier this year? Maybe it was earlier this year or late last year. I was thinking I took a YouTube course. Um, I took an Instagram course and I looked and I, I don't think I took a Facebook group course. Oh, I did. I did take a Facebook group course also, right? And thinking I, I want to try another way to get people to my site. YouTube, I think can work. It's a, it's a grind. I think I made like five videos and I was like, this is, it's just not for me. It's not what I want to do. Instagram is definitely not for me. I, and I just, I knew that, but I, I very, very briefly tried it and then got rid of that. So, which takes us to the Facebook group, which is more my style. I like that I can pop in and I can just write, here's an SEO tip or entice people to watch my webinar or give them a heads up that I'm going to be launching a membership. Facebook groups for me, it's just, it just fits my personality more than YouTube or Instagram or whatever other kind of lead generation platform that you want to talk about. So I do have a free group and it's, it's okay. Like I, I go in there like a couple times a week and post new stuff. One thing I will say is I have the <laughs> I have the setting turned where only I am allowed to post new stuff and people can comment under. I didn't want one of those Facebook groups that was a free for all where and one of my friends uh, has one where it's fifteen thousand bloggers who are all posting random stuff. Like I didn't want to deal with that. So it, it, I do have a group, but it's only I can post, but anyone can comment. Very cool. Yeah, I so I just joined your. Facebook group and I saw that you've got like 4,000 or something members in there. And so for, for it being a relatively new group and then you're just posting, were you nervous about like turning off that setting where everybody could post that like people wouldn't like engage? Were you nervous about that at all? Or you were just like, this is the way I'm going to do it if I'm going to do a Facebook group. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I, and I, uh, again, I love to give credit to where I learned this. This was taught in Caitlin's program as well. She used to teach Facebook groups and then she kind of pivoted, but she kind of had this tip in there or how she runs her group, which was perfect because I didn't want a group <laughs> with hundreds of posts a day. Like that's just not my personality at all. So I'm glad that when I was, when Caitlin was kind of revealing her method that 
this is what she recommended. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly how I want it. So when day one of my group, it's been set like that since day one, right? There was no change. I didn't change a setting on people. It's when people join the group, that's just the way it is. And, and I actually don't think maybe one person has made a comment about it ever, but I think people kind of just understand that's the way it is. Um, but it just, it just fits my personality and the way that I like to run things a lot better. I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that approach and especially just starting off with the, this is how it is from the get-go. And so when you join, yeah. you see that. And so are you, cause you are sharing frequently and consistently in there. Are you repurposing that content from your newsletters or is that all brand new content or how does that kind of play out? I generally like, and to be honest, I haven't been as active as and lately as I have been earlier, but I, it's, I'll generally share, I don't know, two to three times a week. So one is, and again, these are like, this is mostly people who are not students yet. So to be frank, part of the purpose of this group is to, you know, drive people to my products and and also teach them at the same time. So I'll share like a tip maybe once a week. I mean, I, I know the whole repurpose thing, like you should grab something from a Facebook live to me, I just, <laughs> I type it from scratch. I think it's easier. I'll just type it off the top of my head in like two minutes. Right. So you add value, obviously with a post like that. And then I'm sharing testimonials, which I think are like so huge. We haven't really talked about this at all, but if you watch my webinar, if you go on my sales pages, if you go on my Facebook group, sharing other people's raw testimonials. And what I mean by that is not some pretty photograph with, with text that you've written into WordPress. You know what I mean? I mean, like they posted mm. something real in your group about how their traffic went up 50% in the last 30 days and they're celebrating it, right? Like that. And then you screenshot it. Like, that's what I mean. Like a real unprompted testimonial. So that is huge. I, I like to share just to motivate people. Um, and it obviously helps with the you know, promotion angle. So I like to share at least usually one of those per week, like someone got in the media vine, like those things go crazy. Like those are like the most popular posts in in the free group. And then I'll have some, sometimes a call to action to, to my webinar. Like when I, when I refresh my webinar, which I also do, it's like, oh, I just updated my webinar. If you want to check it out, say me and I'll send you a DM or I just updated my course, which I did. All the videos have been refreshed. If you want to learn more about it, say me. Um, and then they say me and then I'll, I'll send them a PM and then I'll track that separately. And again, part of what I learned inside of Caitlin's program is, is, is it's a pain in the butt when you're doing it at first, set up separate funnels for ads, separate funnels for organic, separate funnels for your Facebook group. So you can track exactly where the sales are coming from. So I can track how many sales that I get from my group this week versus organic versus ads. But anyway, that's, that's generally what I share in my group. I mean, I'm not doing a great job with my group. There are 4,000 people in it, but I could definitely be doing better. That's great. Okay. And I, and I love what you said about tracking too, because that is so important to, to find out where the sales are coming from so that you know what, what to concentrate your time on and what you can, you know, potentially cut out. Right. Exactly. And what's, what's converting like, so it's a separate landing page. It's a separate, it's a separate webinar, not a separate video, but a separate webinar, uh, tracking page and easy webinar. It's a separate tag and active campaign. It's a separate, it's a separate checkout page and thrive card, right? It's a, again, it's a, it's not fun to set up 
at the beginning <laughs> and then yeah. you have to duplicate all of the funnels like make sure everything connects yeah make sure all yeah exactly oh, oh did i turn this on is it tagged right i've got to add another tag yada 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 so annoying but when i'm doing my and i'll usually pull my metrics once a week and then i have it broken out organic ads facebook group and then i can see as you mentioned where are the sales coming from what's the conversion rate on this webinar yada 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 that's great. I love that. I love that so much. I love diving into the data and the numbers and seeing, you know, yeah. what's working. It's what... like fun to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you did mention ads. So you are running Facebook ads to your funnel. So how's that going? Uh, I mean, I'm in the right spot to talk about it, but um, <laughs> I have a, a history of, of ads. So I just turned them off about a week ago, even though I had it running for over probably over a year. So I, when I first started Evergreen in, again, that was last spring, right? In April, I think by May, and I I really debated this, but I got into like the mindset thing. You know, if you really want to make this your full-time job, if you want to be one of those, you know, not seven figure people, but six high six figure people, you know, these people have teams, right? They have ads managers, they have people helping them Mm -hmm. out, which I fully, fully believe in. And so I did hire a ads manager. You know, I'm not going to name any names on here. Maybe we can talk about it afterwards. And they were great. They were great, very friendly people. I mean, very organized. They are the ones who helped me understand the importance of tracking different, like setting up that different tracking. And I think I had them for three months. And it was, I mean, listen, the, the good thing about Facebook ads and the good thing about tracking is the numbers tell the story, right? It's, mm-hmm. that's it. It, it. It's I'm either making an ROI or I'm not, right? Especially when, when I'm factoring in their fee. So it wasn't going terribly. Maybe I was breaking even. I, I don't have it pulled up right now, although I can pull it up. So I, I went with them for three months and I, I, listen, again, I'm obviously a believer in outsourcing what you need to outsource because I'm not a Facebook ads guy, but it didn't, it just wasn't for my... I don't know how to say this. Like, so my course, like I, there's a lot of bloggers in my course, but it's not, I don't get the amount of opt-ins or the amount of page views on my website. I'm basically not doing the, the, the volume that would necessarily justify like a, and this is full service as yeah. manager. But again, the, the, the easy thing about, you know, deciding to not go with them any longer was we just have to pull up the spreadsheet, right? There's no, there's no emotion involved. It's just numbers. So I had them for, again, three months. Then I was, quote unquote, running my own ads for a while. And they were, you know, nice enough to leave me all of the targeting, all of the, what do you call it? The creative, right? Mm-hmm. And then telling me this one, these worked best versus this did not work best. So for a while, I was kind of letting it run, tweaking it on my own, but I've been doing it on my own for over a year. And it was, I mean, my results are just, I mean, it's, it's kind of a wash, <laughs> which I guess is not terrible, right? Some people say you're building your list for free, which is definitely one way to look at it. But it, very recently I did, I turned them off, but I'm not giving up, but that's, that's kind of my story with Facebook ads. Okay. No, I know it can be a point of frustration for many people. <laughs> so I, I hear you on that, but you've got a lot of other strategies, traffic strategies. I mean, the affiliates and word of mouth, that's right. huge. So, you know, the Facebook group, you've got other things going on. So, you know, if ads just aren't working right now, you can, you know, table that. And of course there are changes with iOS 14 and all of that, that have come into play recently too. Right. And that was another thing that I was like, uh, that I was trying to do it on my own. I was like, 
not only do I not know what I'm doing, I don't have the patience <laughs> like at all. We did, um, did end up figuring it out, but yeah, that was, that was a headache. Okay. So I want to ask you about your team um, because it sounds like it's all you um, other than outsourcing your ads in the past. Uh, Do you have a team? Do you have like an assistant? Do you have anybody helping you with like the tech setup or is it just you? So when it comes to my quote unquote SEO business or my programs or my courses, right, which is the the, the bulk, I do have my niche sites, which is a separate entity. Yeah. It's just me. I, I had the ads team for three months, but I've been doing everything myself since day one. Hold on. I do have now in my paid Facebook group, or rather the the Facebook group for my students, not my free group. I did hire a, we call him a coach, uh, Mark, shout out to Mark. Um, So he's been with me for several months now and his role, and this is not his job, obviously, but he's, you know, and I, I pay him, you know, whatever. He only works like an hour a day, basically when he's at work, <laughs> he'll go into our group and he'll help answer questions as they relate to the course materials, right? So if someone's watching one of my videos in Kajabi about the course and they're just unclear or they have a question about something in the course and they, they ask it, they're free to tag Mark. And Mark has now taken that load off my shoulder, which has been huge because I don't love being in Facebook, being in Facebook groups, all day trouble, like troubleshooting stuff. So yeah, Mark's been with me for a few months now, but other than that, like, yeah, all of the tech, all of the ads now filming the courses up, like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, like uploading videos in Kajabi, making them in like the covers in Canva, like that kind of stuff. I just, I just do it. So, um, so <laughs> what is next for you? I know you, you mentioned Stu McLaren's tribe and that's still kind of to be determined maybe, but what is, you know, you've got this very successful business. You've quit your job. You've been able to dive into all these different courses and strategies and focus in on what is working best. So, so where are you going next? Yeah. So I am definitely going to do a membership probably next month. I just don't really have I like to, it's funny because I was like a project manager and I love to work on deadlines and this task and this has to be done by then. But when I'm doing it, I'm like, if I have to launch by September 15th, you know, I'll start working on it on like September 10th. You know what I mean? I don't know why I do that, but I do, which is why it's not fully fleshed out, but I will be doing a membership. You know, I don't want to call it an SEO membership. It's more like bloggers who are serious about taking their blog to the next level with SEO, with affiliate marketing, and, and kind of want that that support, that implementation support going forward, more of like at a coaching level, or not one-on-one coaching, but more direct feedback, coaching calls, hot seats. That's how I envision structuring it. That's why it's not finalized, which is why I said that. But um, that's definitely next. And I'm going to be doing that next month because I do think it's the the most natural kind of progression. Like I, I had this course for three months, three months, three years. I've got over 3000 students, almost 3000 of them. I mean, all, almost 3000 people in my, my group for the paid members. And, and the group is, is like, it's like a bonus, right? It's not one-on-one time with Mike. It's just there for people to kind of chat SEO and if they have a question about the course, but I, you know, just by being in the group, obviously, or being the owner of the group, I, I just see all of these additional questions, right? Like mm-hmm. helping with with implementing what they've learned, taking it to the next step, more, again, direct feedback. Google's always changing. You know, there's always updates. There's always the opportunity for more, more learning, right? And that's what I've 
what I have been learning taking Stu's course. So I, I do think it's the natural progression for people who have taken my course. And, I, and I'm not going to limit it, I don't think, to only people who have taken my course. But people who have taken my course and like, all right, I watched the videos, but I want to keep going, right? I, I still, you know, SEO is something you work on every day, every week. It's the most important part of blogging, in my opinion, maybe outside of your email list. So yeah, that, that's a long-winded answer of saying the membership is going to be next. And hopefully, if I can get myself together next month. That's exciting. That's very exciting. So I definitely want to talk a little bit about SEO. I mean, obviously you are the SEO guy and you know how to make it stupid simple. <laughs> and yeah. so for those of us, I mean, I, I told you before we started recording, I don't know much about SEO. I've interviewed people on SEO. I, I have clients that know a lot about SEO and love geeking out about it. Where do we start? I know we need content and you work, you focus on bloggers. So how much content do we need before we should start focusing on improving our SEO. Yeah. So before I answer that directly, I, I agree. And that's part of why I kind of, you know, people think, and I can understand why, because when you read like an article on moz.com, it seems very confusing, very overwhelming because there's so much technical stuff. And I don't want to say unimportant, but like kind of white noise stuff that just doesn't necessarily move the needle as much as it should that people get very overwhelmed with. So that's when I started my course. And that's why I named my course on my website, Stupid Simple SEO, because I wanted to make it, you know, SEO is not simple, but it's, it can be easy to understand. So that was a good segue that you that you gave me. And that is part of why I, part of what I try to focus on with my program and with my students. So as you mentioned, I do work primarily with bloggers or niche site owners. In other words, people who create content, like a volume of content, right? Not like they have five posts on their website. Like that's not mm -hmm. really what we're talking about here. Like, cause the game here that I mentioned way at the beginning is publish content, get that content ranking in Google and then get traffic and then monetize a bunch of ways. But most bloggers start with ads and they start with affiliates and that's great. And to do that though, you need a, a volume of content. Now, your question was, how much content do I need to have on my site before I focus on SEO? I mean, I, the, the truth is your, your very first post should be, I mean, it doesn't have to be because most people don't start this way. But in an ideal world, you know, you've done your SEO, your, your keyword research before you've published anything on your site, right? That's the answer. The truth is obviously people get into SEO not at the beginning of their blog, but maybe they're 20 posts in or they're 50 posts in or, or whatever. And we do work over time to go back to that content to improve it, to make it quote unquote SEO friendly because Google is going to grade and there, there are some stuff we think Google thinks and some stuff they actually will say on the record, but they have said on the record, Google is going to grade your blog or your content as a whole, Right. In other words, if you have 100 blog posts on your site, but only 20 of them are quote unquote SEO optimized, those other 80 are hurting you, right? Google hmm. has said that your, your, your content is judged or your site is judged as a whole. So it's great that you have 20 good pieces of content, but you know, and again, students in my course, they come in halfway through their blog or they already have content and we work on doing like an audit and it's a pain, but we slowly one by one go back and update, update the post to make sure that every post on our site is, is optimized. Okay. So that's where like a content audit that we've heard a lot about those, these last few years is very important because we need to go back, get rid of the fluff maybe that isn't adding value right. and yeah. then beef up what, what is good content and make it 
more SEO worthy. Exactly. Right. So you get rid of, and even, I mean, I did this myself on a one of my personal finance blog. It's not that it wasn't quote unquote SEO optimized, but it wasn't for whatever reason, it just wasn't. And not every post obviously you publish is going to go to the first page, right? So there was a, a cluster of content on my site. Personal finance is very uh, competitive. Maybe it was just too competitive. Google wasn't sending a traffic. And this is after I've had this site for a few years and I just deleted it from my site. So there's certain content that we identify. Maybe it's low quality, then you improve it. Maybe it doesn't belong on your site anymore, right? People start their blog, you know, if, if they're just starting out, some people just treat their blog like a diary and they're writing about random stupid stuff, right? That right. really doesn't belong on their blog today. So why is it on your blog now, right? So we go back and delete it, right? Or maybe we'll com- merge two posts, right? Because some people don't understand that you shouldn't target one keyword with two different posts. So maybe we'll merge those two posts into one, right? So there's a couple of things that co- go into an audit, but yeah, the the making sure, and listen, if you have a lot of content, it's not easy. It, it takes a while to, to go back and do it, but it's definitely worth it. So is there like a, like a good word count or length that we should be shooting for? I, I know when I first started blogging, it was like, you know, just get up posts, get up a lot of posts, yeah. you know, 500 words and, you know, try and do every day or three times a week or whatever, if you can. And now I know the, the rules have totally changed. What is it today? What are the kind of quote unquote best practices if we're going like, to go into to write a blog post now? So it's I'm laughing because I am doing a, a different Facebook Live with Mediavine next week. And as part of the, the prep, they, they emailed me and said, give me your top five SEO myths. Cause that's the topic of the Facebook Live is like SEO myths. And one of them that I sent back is this whole word count thing that you just <laughs> you just asked about, which okay. is why I'm laughing because it's a it's it's a popular myth, right? Like, yeah, when you when people were first blogging or not first blogging, but maybe five years ago, as you mentioned, oh, every post needs to be 500 words. And then Brian Dean came out with this study, and I think this is where it comes from. You know, it was the average word count of the uh, a post in the top ten of Google is like 1,900 words or something like that, right? So okay, then everyone yeah, said, I think I heard well, that. Every, Every post needs to be 2,000 words, right? And that's just not true, obviously, right? He was looking at the average of probably 10 million articles in 10 different and millions of niches and millions of keywords, right? And he just came up with the average, which is fine, but it doesn't doesn't mean that every post has to be 500 words. It doesn't mean every post has to be 2,000 words. So the answer is depends. I mean, and this is sometimes usually an answer with SEO, but I'll give you a little more context. It depends on the topic and the keyword that you're writing about, right? If I were writing a post, how to tie your shoes, right? It probably doesn't need to be 2000 words. It could probably be a hundred words, right? With pictures, right? Okay. And that would be totally fine, right? Because, and we don't, I don't have to go too deep into this, but when we think about the user intent, this is a a big thing in SEO now, and it should be, right? The user intent. In other words, when someone is on Google and they're typing that keyword, how to tie my shoes, when they're typing that into Google, what do they want to find on the other end? What are they expecting to find, right? And we need to think about this when we're creating our content. And so if I'm writing 5,000 words on how to tie my shoe, right? That just doesn't make any sense, right? That I'm not hitting user intent and I have no pictures, right? That just, it just makes no sense. But if I had 200 words and it had step one, step two, step three with six pictures, 
that's much more valuable, right? 200 words is more valuable than 5,000 words. It totally depends on the topic, right? And the flip side of that is if someone typed into Google, how to save for retirement or something like that, right? A very broad, deep, mm-hmm. serious topic. And I had 200 words and five pictures, right? Did I right. answer their intent? <laughs> Did I meet the intent of the query? Like, of course not. It makes no sense. But if I had 3,000 words broken up into different sections, covering different subtopics with graphics and charts and right, our, um, compound interest or whatever, then that would make sense for that specific query. So yes, it depends, but it depends on the topic. And, and this is where search intent is like arguably along with keyword research, the most important part of SEO is understanding Mm -hmm. why, like, why is someone looking for that? And what are they expecting to find on the other end? So that is really interesting because, so first of all, I mean, the whole 2000 words thing, I've heard of that. And, you know, I kind of like that because it's like, it's a goal to shoot for. And I'm a numbers person, you know, it's like, yes, I can, I could say that I hit that, but I like (laughs) also we have permission that it doesn't have to be that. But what I like when I, your example of how to tie your shoes. Like I was thinking about if I Google that, I may get a post that has like the history of shoe tying and where like laces came from and like all this other stuff. Cause I, I'll Google something and it gives me like, and I'm just like, I just want my answer and I'm scrolling and scrolling right. and scrolling. And it's like so long. So I guess, does Google take that into consideration if you're giving all this extra like backstory and, and information, but people are either like clicking back or they're just scrolling and then, you know, reading it for 20 seconds and then clicking back, then does Google, like, does that affect the algorithm and, and the ranking? So I mentioned earlier, there are things that we think about Google and we think about SEO. And then there mm-hmm. are things that Google actually says are true. This is one of those things where they don't confirm that, you know, it's called, you know, the clickback or, you know, as you mentioned, if I click on someone's results and it's, terrible. It doesn't match my intent. And I immediately click back, right? And then I scroll Mm -hmm. down and then I click the next result, right? Some people Mm -hmm. call it pogo sticking. And then I click the next result and then I'm satisfied with it. And then I consume the content and then I exit on my browser, right? Clearly that's a signal to Google that the second result was better than their first result. If you talk to any SEO person, they're going to say, yes, hundred percent, that is a ranking factor. Google, I don't think and, and they don't really reveal a lot for good reason. I don't think they've ever confirmed that, but you're 100% right. And that's right. The machine learning, like how they are training their algorithm is by user behavior, right? Because whenever you click a link on Google, they're, they're not following you, but they're, they're, they can see how you're interacting with that page. And as you said, if you're quickly click back and then you're looking for a different result, that probably means you weren't happy with that result. Okay. Other thing on user intent is the good thing is that since Google is measuring this stuff and then they're shuffling their algorithm, shuffling the results based on our behavior, if you ever want to know what the user intent is, we were talking about word counts specifically, just Google the keyword. I know it sounds so obvious, but I just, I have my browser pulled up. I Googled how to tie your shoes. The first result is a video right? Which makes sense. People visually want, Mm -hmm. right? This is something that's probably easier to watch a video about to see someone do it. The second result is a WikiHow article and they have several different steps, but they have illustrations or they have actually their gifts, right? A, A visual representation of how to do it. And then results three through seven are also videos, right? So this tells me if you didn't already know it right beforehand, if you were 
you know, weren't sure what the intent was, you literally go into incognito in Chrome, Google the keyword and analyze the results. What does Google think the intent is? Well, they're showing seven videos, right? They're showing a, a four-step thing with pictures. That's a pretty good indicator of how I should structure my post and more specifically to what you were talking about, roughly speaking, how long my content should be, right? If every other uh. post on page 10 is between four and 800 words, I'm generally, it's a little more nuanced, but generally that's the word count I'm going to shoot for. If I, right, if we come up with 3,000 words, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible to rank, but chances are it probably won't. And you don't need it. And you know, right, exactly. What are you writing? Right, exactly. It doesn't answer their question, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's so helpful. That's so helpful. Okay. So what, what is another common mistake or myth that people get wrong with, with SEO? All right. So a a big, I'm not going to call it a myth, but one of the most important things in my opinion of seeing success in Google is nailing your niche. And what I mean by that is focusing on I'm not, people get upset about this, which is why, why I'm hesitating. Maybe maybe not one niche, but have a focus for your blog, have a focus for your website. So for example, the personal finance blog that I mentioned, which does pretty well, it does over six figures a year with me doing basically nothing. But my focus on that site are credit scores or people who have quote unquote bad credit, right? That's my niche. So every article on that website, and there's probably 150 articles, every article has something to do with credit scores or credit reports or bad credit or how to fix your credit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that is my niche. And I'm obsessively nailing my niche every time I publish a new post. And the reason that's important is because of relevance, right? So Google will talk about, there's this guy, John, I don't know how to pronounce it, if it's Mueller or John Miller, he's on Twitter, very active. He's a Google, he's like the face of the Google algorithm. And he talks openly about relevance, how relevance is so important, right? To establish your relevance, to establish your authority. In my opinion, it's important to, I'm not saying you have to focus on only one tiny little niche and you're not allowed to write about anything else. This is where people get annoyed, but focusing on that niche. So for me, part of it is this, my tiny little site with 150 posts. I don't want to say that it's seen as an authority in Google's eyes, but I am definitely relevant to any keyword or any search in Google that has to do with bad credit or credit reports or credit scores, because Google crawls your site, right? They index every post. They understand what your content and what your site is about. And so when someone types a keyword into Google related to that niche, I'm much more likely to pop up because I'm relevant to that keyword, right? And and when you think about it, it makes sense. So if someone typed into Google, the best chocolate chip cookie recipe, and I randomly, let's say today or last month, or it doesn't matter, published a post about chocolate chip cookies on my credit site, right? Would it make any sense for my post to rank no matter how good my recipe is, right? It it wouldn't make any sense because my site, my authority, my relevance is not about chocolate chip cookies. It's not about food. It's not about recipes. Google knows what my site is about. So even if I have a really good post on chocolate chip cookie recipes, it will 0% rank. And that's in part because of relevance. So when I, and I, my students kind of fight me with this because people want to buy, they want to write about whatever they want, right? I want to write about travel, recipes, babies, personal finance, 
and I, and I honestly, I try not to tell people what to write about because people take their blogs. It's like their baby and it makes sense, mm-hmm. which is why, and we can talk about this later if you want, niche sites are different and they take a more rational approach, but with bloggers, and I totally understand it's their site. They're going to want to write about whatever they want and that's fine. But this relevance thing is huge in terms of ranking just to be seen. And it makes sense when you think about it logically, like I'm not going to rank for a beauty keyword or a travel keyword on my personal finance. And it's like, why would I? But when I, when I publish 150 pieces of content, right, they're all targeting a different keyword in a different specific topic, but they're under the big umbrella of quote unquote bad credit, right? Every single post has to do in some way with people who have a bad credit score. And that significantly helps my SEO. Yeah. I think that's always important. Like no matter what platform you're on, I think about this, like on Instagram and, and other social sites, it's like, why are people following you? What do they want to learn about you? And if you're, if you're in this to build a business, then stay focused on that topic. Cause I'll see people that kind of like get distracted and they'll post about other things. And I'm like, well, that's not what I'm following you for, you know? And sometimes it's nice to see those like more lifestyle posts or whatever, but really if I'm looking for a solution and if I'm, if me as a business owner is looking to grow my business, then staying focused on that topic will help, I think, in, in multiple ways. And it sounds like for SEO purposes, for sure. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great analogy. It's like when, when you know, I'm in, in a way have pigeonholed myself as an SEO guy and I'm slowly slowly trying to very briefly be, be a little more broad, not too broad, don't worry. But again, yeah, I wouldn't be posting about, you know, how to grow your Insta- Instagram account, right? It would make no sense. People would be like, why are you writing about this? This is not why I'm following you. So that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is, what is changing with SEO? I mean, I hear about like the algorithm updates and all of that. I mean, is there ever any warning or does Google just make the changes and then we just have to figure it out and deal with it. How does that all work and what's coming down the road? Do you know? <laughs> I, I, so I don't, but here's the thing. Google has, they call them now core updates, right? And they'll do it. I don't know. It, there's no cadence exactly, but it's every couple of months. So these come, they're going to come every time. And all it is, is Google's just refreshing their index or their algorithm. And the, the way that one of the Google people, uh, I think it was Danny Sullivan. So this is another, he, he's behind the scenes, but he, he has a public facing Twitter account, right? He'll, he'll engage with you uh, about the algorithm. And he gave the best analogy that I can ever think of on the Google, like why Google does it, or why did I go down in the rankings? And the way he said it was pretend there was a list, right? That came out, and let's say it came out last year, right? The 100 best movies of all time right? And there was a list. And then the following year and a bunch of movies were came out and maybe one or two of them were really, really good, right? And they were deserving to be on that list. So then in 2021, that list was re-released. The best mm-hmm. 100 movies of all time. Now, two of those movies that just came out deserved to be on that list, right? So what does that mean? It means that two movies now have to come off the list. It doesn't mean those movies aren't as good as they used to be. It means that the two movies that came out in between are now better in, in the eyes of whoever is making that list. So when you think about the top 10 results in Google, and maybe today I'm ranking number six, right? And then Google refreshes their algorithm, and now I'm ranking number eight. Does it mean that my post is no longer good? Not necessarily. 
but it could mean that two different websites published a post on the same topic within those three to four months that Google now thinks are better. So when you think about it that way, A, it makes sense, I think. B, it's somewhat comforting because you, your content might not necessarily be, quote unquote, at fault, right? People think they did something wrong. They punished my site. They, I got killed by the algorithm, which mm-hmm. it could be. But it could also be that that movie list was updated and two better movies came out. So that's broadly how, and again, this I'm not making this up. This came from, and I think it's a perfect, perfect, perfect analogy on how to think broadly about these updates. I like that. So, so mindset wise, how do you coach your students through this? If, like once they're hit, you know, hit quote unquote with this, do you just take it? You know, how do you, how do you coach people through this? Cause I know, I know that's something that many entrepreneurs struggle with. It's like, Oh, I thought I figured that out, but now I was just hit with Google. And, and do we just go one by one back to those and try to make them better? It's not easy. It stinks. Every website gets hit and it's not even get hit, but that's the term that people use. Every right. website gets hit with an update. I've been hit with an update. I will continue to get hits with update or maybe a different site just published a better post. But yeah, so just in terms of the students, it's making sure they understand that at the beginning, right? Like this is the game, right? This is the Google game. We're going to go up and maybe we're going to go down in terms of mindset. Like they have to understand this is an al- like a super secret algorithm, right? And the way that I try to frame it is, we're here to, to learn best practices, right? To, to set ourselves up for success SEO-wise the best way that we know how and, and hitting every single angle that we can, the best that we can, right? In other words, stacking the odds in our favor. And that's kind of how I look at SEO. We cannot control Google. And, and the more you realize that, I think it helps the mindset a little bit, but it's all about stacking the odds in your favor, doing you know these 10 things, as best as we can to give us the best chance of success. And when an algorithm hit uh, update hits, and the tough part about the, that you mentioned the coaching and, and not to kind of dive into why I'm doing the membership, but part of the, it's really hard to do that when I'm selling a course and then, you know, it's not one-on-one support, obviously, right? It's mm-hmm. not even one-on-ten support. And if you do get hit by an update, I mean, that's a one-on-one conversation, right? I, mm-hmm. it, I you like, I need to look at not only your site, but I need to go into Google Analytics and look at your top 10 posts, which ones drop the most. All right, we have to pull that post up. All right, let's see who else is ranking Google, who jumped ahead of you, what are they doing that you're not doing, and so on and so forth, in terms of like, quote, unquote, trying to figure it out. But in, yeah, in terms of mindset, it's just, it's just part of the game, right? You, you've It's yeah. it's part of the Google, it's part of the Google game. And that's why even even in my emails, and I like to jokingly crap on Pinterest because I do think that <laughs> I think Google is, oh my God, don't even get me started. Pinterest is, if I was relying on Pinterest, I would be very scared right now. Uh, but that's a whole separate podcast, maybe for a Pinterest person. Anyway, I'll encourage my students, listen, Google's much better traffic. It's much more reliable, but it still has algorithm updates. You still, if it makes sense, you should be learning and, and using Pinterest. I'm not going to teach you how, but you should be using Pinterest. You should be building your email list, right? We, we need to diversify, right? Even though I'm obviously all about Google, it's still an algorithm and we still need to different traffic sources, building your email list and you know maybe sell your own product and basically diversify. But that's that's just part of it. 
Yeah. I think that's, I think that's super smart. And I know my clients have been around a long time, you know, when Facebook may cha- makes changes, they're just like, okay, so it is what it is. You know, we've seen this before or something like it, right. There's always going to be some kind of change. And, you know, if you're in it for the long term, then you've got to learn to kind of roll with that and make adjustments exactly. because nothing, I mean, with the internet ever stays the same. <laughs> no, it's constantly, I mean, it's definitely frustrating, but it's, it's just part of it, right? It's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I, I have taken up enough of your time. This has been so great. I really love this conversation. Thank you for yeah, your so generosity, but where can people go to find you to learn more about stupid, simple SEO, the program, but also I know you've got freebies in the Facebook group and we'll put all the links in the show notes. I'll send people to the homepage, which is where you can find the freebie. So my homepage is stupid, simple SEO.co.co. And there should be a a button for the, I think it's a five day video boot camp, And then my group is actually probably the next, if you scroll down a little bit, there's a link to, to my free group on there. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It was so great chatting with you. I I've absolutely love this conversation. Thank you for your generosity and time today and all of your wisdom. Thanks so much, Monica. I had a really good time. As I said at the beginning, I absolutely loved this conversation and I hope that you did too. Mike and I would love to know your biggest takeaways from this episode. You can share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 114 or tag Mike and me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica and he's at Stupid Simple SEO. And I want to give a huge thank you once again to Mike for coming on the podcast and sharing his story and his wisdom with us and being so generous with his time. He is doing incredible things. And if you are interested in learning more about SEO, he is the man to follow. Be sure to check out his free video series and join his free Facebook group. And you'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in the episode at monicalouie.com slash 114. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook and Instagram ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. It is all fully updated and you can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through these six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's an awesome checklist. You can make sure you've got everything you need before you dive into the ads manager. And if you're like me, you love a good checklist and big news. Flourish with Facebook ads is now fully updated with all the changes for iOS 14. So if you're ready to uplevel your business this year with Facebook and Instagram ads, this is the program that will walk you through exactly how to do just that. And you can learn more at monicalouie.com slash flourish. As I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that Mike and I mentioned today in the show notes, and you can find those at monicalouie.com slash 114. If you found this podcast helpful, please be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday, and we've got a ton of great interviews, great guests, and great solo shows heading your way. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Let's flourish.